told in your word that, Lord, we will be living in the vastness of your holiness for all of eternity. But as for today, I pray, Lord, that we would live lives that are holy, that are separated from the world and to your glory. And so once again, as we open your Bible, we just pray for that instruction that shows us your way to accomplish that. And so, Father, we just thank you for the fellowship that we have here with one another. We just pray that you would bless us for being here today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings. Penny? Sir Glenn? Good morning. You're in a different place. People go and you switch places where you sit usually, and it messes me all up. We had our couples dinner last night. We had more couples than I think we've ever had. It was a true blessing, and I just want to take this time to thank those people who faithfully served. Um, We had a group of high schoolers and assorted old people, and the whole night was just a complete blessing. So again, I just want to thank those who served. We finished the book of Titus last week, and so what I'm going to be doing is a series on the Psalms, just Psalm 22, 23, and 24. So today we'll be doing half the first Psalm here, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 22, and as always, if you arrived here without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. There's some up here, and one over there. And then we have one other thing before we get started. We have a young man who is um, going on active service to Alaska, and he asked that we would pray that he would stay warm. And so, David, if you want to come up, we're going we're gonna to pray for you. He's been in, on inactive or in inactive service. He's being activated, and seriously, he's going to be going to Alaska. And so David just asked that we would pray for him. So come on down. He used to be skinny. I mean, no, he's... <laughs> I guess. Let me pray for you. Father, I lift up this young man, Lord, that has answered your call, and I just pray that you would go before him. I pray, Father, for the ministry that you have called him to, and just pray, God, that your hand of protection would be upon him. Father, I pray for his mother and his sister who will be leaving behind, Lord, that you would be their strength and their comfort. But I also pray, Father, that you would be David's guide. And so, Father, I just lift him up to you, and I just thank you, Father. It's humbling, Lord, just to see a young man who is going forward, Lord, to protect our nation and to do this, render this service. And I just pray, Father, that we would truly see the cost of the freedom that we have, that we would be reminded of that, that we have this opportunity to gather here at this church this morning in freedom, Lord, not having to worry. And so, Father, we just lift up all that you achieve through the people who you call and pray, God, that you would do great things through David. I do pray that, again that you would protect him and that you would make his way straight, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sir, God bless you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 22, it'll be starting at verse 1. I read the title because the title is part of the inspired word of God. And so the title starts, To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shred, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would just be reminded, especially as we head into this Easter season, Father, this time when we celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. I pray, Father, that as we look at this psalm, that we would be reminded, Lord, that this was your plan. This was your plan for that point in history when that crucifixion did occur, but also, Father, for our resurrections as we were resurrected from a dead life into your new life and will be resurrected once again. And so, Father, we just thank you that you've given us your word. Pray, God, that you would guide us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, for the next four Sundays, we're going to take a look at three key psalms that relate specifically to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is designed, my intent is a time of revisiting for the purpose of reminding. That's the majority of what any teacher does, is to remind the people of what's been previously taught. Each of these psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24, they are tied together progressively, all in relation to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, we went verse by verse through the psalms when we first started the church so many years ago. And what we saw was that as one psalm would end, a lot of the times, not every time, but a lot of the times, a new one would pick up, and it was the same thought, and it was a continuation of the other, and that's what we see here in Psalm 22 through Psalm 24. Now, in Psalm 22, we're going to be looking at our dying Lord upon the cross, and what we're going to get here is, is a prophetic picture of what is going on behind the scenes, and really it's about the relationship with the crucified Lord and our Father in heaven. In Psalm 23, we see our risen Lord, a picture of our risen shepherd, how because the Lord came to life, he's able to move in our lives today. In Psalm 24, we'll see the ascended Lord, a picture of our reward. Now, since none of us were there at the time when Christ was upon the cross, and even those who were there, they didn't experience exactly what Christ was experiencing at that time, Psalm 22, again, gives us that behind-the-scenes picture. 
So again, we would have an understanding that this was not just a man that was hung upon the cross and executed. There's just so much more. It just went so much deeper. Now we can so easily separate the physical from the spiritual, but really there's a joining together of the two. Never has there been a more spiritual act in all of history, but make no mistake about it, this is a physical act as well. It's a physical act that Christ was put upon the cross, that he was scourged, that he had the spikes driven through his hands and through his feet and the spear in the side. It's a physical act that he took literally the sins of the world upon him because we can't even carry our own sins. Jesus paid the price for our sins upon that cross, and if it was left to me to even pay the price for my own sin, it was a debt that I could not pay. I would be attempting to do so, but attempting to do so all eternity apart from a relationship with God. And so again, Easter Easter is one of the most holy times as we take that time to consider what truly occurred upon the cross and the ramifications that it has in our life today. That if you're a born-again believer here today, you've become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Your future has been secured, and even your days here on the earth have been altered. We need to understand the privilege, the blessing, and the meaning in all of that. So Psalm 22 offers us the best view of what happened, and does so from the standpoint of Jesus' view upon the cross. And so it's like we're getting a narrative here in this prophetic scripture. We know of no incident in David's life, King David's life, as we saw in the title that he is the author of this psalm. There's nothing that we see in his life that matches what has happened here. Matter of fact, there is nobody within the scriptures that matches what is going on here. The only one who fulfilled what we see here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we did our prophecy study at New Year's, we saw that the Lord knows the beginning from the end. He knows of what's going to happen in the future, and he tells us beforehand so that we would know that our future is in the hands of God. It's important. Now, you can extrapolate that through to the day that you die and you go to be with him, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But also, what about tomorrow? What about next week? You know, these things, these trials, they come up. Just a minor thing, but just to kind of get the picture. My wife and I, Friday morning, we went to the gym. She drags me out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning, and then she drags me to the gym. And then when she drugged me home, (laughs) um, I was sitting there, and I smelled something funny, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And, you know, kind of running through the house, what could it be? And then go into the garage, and it's a little bit stronger in the garage. I kind of thought it smelled like lacquer thinner, but I just couldn't really put my nose on it. And as I'm walking around, I see this puddle under the car, and it's leaking gasoline. And I look underneath, and the, um, the, uh, the gas tank has a crack in it. And somewhere along the line, we hit something and cracked in it, and it's leaking gasoline. And I'm just thinking, oh, great. And so I'm trying, you know, I go to the store, buy some stuff, buy the wrong stuff to try and patch it, buy the right stuff, and it's still not working really well. She says, well, I'll call the insurance. I go, that's not what insurance is for. Insurance is for if somebody hits you or you hit somebody. It's not when something, you break something, whatever. But she calls the insurance anyway, and they're going to cover it. <laughs> the wisdom of Mike. Yeah. If I'm not teaching the Bible, then don't worry about what I'm saying. Just ignore it. Just smile and nod like she does. Um, 
But nonetheless, you know, that, that's just nothing really. It's just one of those bumps or hiccups that we go through life. But really what I've got to see is whatever it is that I'm entering into tomorrow or next week or next month, God is already there. He's already doing the work. And the best illustration of this, at least in my mind, is Noah, Noah and the ark. God, when it was time to seal him into the ark, what did he tell Noah? He said, come into the ark. Come, 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 come unto me. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're moving into where the Lord already is. He inhabits eternity, we're told in the book of Isaiah. And so what we see is this prophetic word, and it's kind of interesting, and just the fact that it describes almost in detail crucifixion. Crucifixion was not to come into even being for another 600 years after this psalm was written. And so obviously God knew what was going to happen. God gives us these details so that today we could look back and see how he prophesied the coming of these things so that we would understand and know specifically that that was the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know specifically that that was the Father's plan, that we would know this was not man crucifying Christ, this was not man punishing Jesus, this was Jesus receiving the punishment from the Father for all of the sins of the world so that you would not have to receive it. This psalm is a description of suffering and death by execution. And again, the only person who accurate, it accurately describes is the Lord. Jesus really even goes as far as to confirm this in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's as if the Lord, as he was on the cross, wanted man, those people who were before him and those people who would read of these things, to go back to the Old Testament and to revisit these things. Where have I heard that phrase before? Psalm 22. You would go back to Psalm 22 and you would see how Christ fulfilled all of the things that are listed there and really what it's designed to do is all the Word of God is to bring your attention to the cross. And as our attention is upon the cross, our attention is exactly where God desires for it to be. And so Psalm 22 is definitely prophetic and for sure messianic. Prophetic, telling us what was going to happen. Messianic, speaking of the Messiah, our Lord once again. Some of the fulfilled prophecies that we see in Psalm 22, well, I just read the one, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's what Christ spoke upon the cross. In Psalm 22, verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water. What, happens when, what happened when the Roman guard put the spear in his side? We're told that water and blood came out. Prophecy, they, verses 7 and 8 in Psalm 22, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. In Matthew 27, 43, we're told, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. That's as the Jews were mocking him. The prophecy of Psalm 22, verse 10, Yet you brought me out of the womb. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 32, the angel told Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Psalm 22, 7, I am a worm and not a man scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Matthew 27, 29 through 30, they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hell, king of the Jews, they said. And so 
Last one, 22, 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. And we see in Matthew 27, 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus and gathered the whole garrison around him. So there's fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy so that we would focus our attention upon what is being said here and bring it to the cross and understand and know that this is truly the will of God. If you don't understand the cross to be the will of God, then you're going to miss the point and the reality of what the cross is able to do in your life. You're going to miss that. And so you have to understand that this was God's plan. It wasn't just a chance occurrence at some point in history, but this was orchestrated by the Lord in detail. Again, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groanings? This is the fourth saying upon the cross. Jesus had what we call the seven sayings upon the cross. I'm just going to go through them quickly. In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He's basically saying they're going according to their sinful nature. In John 16, 26-27, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. It speaks of stewardship of the church. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, And Jesus said to him, the thief upon the cross, said, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It speaks of what Christ is able to do, but what we are unable to do. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. The idea of sin has been placed upon him, and what's the remedy for sin today is the word of God. And so many times, water is a picture of the word of God. Jesus is thirsting for the word of God. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. That's the fulfillment of God's plan. And then in Luke 23, verse 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, the main reason that I read all of those through, mostly because it's pertinent to what we're talking about, but also to understand that the first three of those seven sayings were for the benefit of others, but the last four are intimate conversation between the Father and the Son. And so those last four sayings, last four of the seven sayings upon the cross, this is the Lord having conversation with the Father. And so what I need to see here is, is that what was going upon, on upon the cross during that time? Well, again, th- th- this is something that, well, the only way we're privy to it is to look back and to see the prophecies. But again, it's, it's intimacy with the Lord. You'll come to church and you'll have conversations with people, but every once in a while you'll see a husband and wife and they're kind of talking within themselves because it's personal time. Maybe, who knows what they're talking about, but nonetheless, we, we have those times, that we, conversations that we don't share with others. Well, here, what we have to see first of all in this intimate conversation, they turned out the lights. They turned out the lights. It was that phenomena that occurred in Luke 23, verse 44, and that was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the noon hour. And so again, there's this darkness, so it's in this darkness, in this alone time, in this private time, that Christ is having this conversation. 
it's almost as if we're being shut out during that time. We're being shut out because, again, this is the Father and the Son. This is the fulfillment of the plan. This is intimacy between God. It's that personal time that, well, that personal time that just shows us the importance of what is occurring here. It's almost as if, if the curtain has been pulled. Now, in his last saying, Jesus fulfilled his purpose for coming. Again, I, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I commit my spirit. He's ready to go. He's done the will of the Father. He, is, he has fulfilled the plan. He has fulfilled all the scriptures. And so in verse 1 again, we have the sixth saying upon the cross. In John chapter 19, in Psalm 22, verse 31, this is just kind of an aside, we, we've got another little picture that Christ keeps bringing us back to this psalm, again, for the purpose of understanding. And uh, in 19, verse 30, it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Again, that would be something else that would register to the Jewish mind of the day. Because in Psalm 22, verse 31, it says, They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. That he has done this, that term can be equally translated, it is finished. And so these are designed to tie together so we would again realize what is being finished. What is being finished is the fulfillment of this plan that started, we're told in the scriptures, from the foundation of the world. Again, if God truly does inhabit eternity, if he inhabits the future, he understood the reality of the sinful nature of man. He knew what was going to occur, that sin would enter in through the first sin that we have recorded in the scriptures through Adam, and it would reign throughout all of humanity. God had a plan for that in order to restore mankind back to fellowship. And we know whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a picture of the great love that God has for us. It's a display of his grace, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us even so much more. And so as this was God's plan, God's divine plan, it had to be brought to fruition exactly how God had planned it out. Now that's part of the reason, once again, why we've been told in this detail of Psalm 22 so that we would see that in detail it fits. If there's anything wrong, if there's anything missing, if there's anything left unfulfilled, then you can go back and you can start bringing into question so many things in the scriptures. But the scriptures have to be without error and they have to be perfectly fulfilled. So what we'll be looking at today is the relationship between the Father and the Son during the time between 12 noon and 3 p.m., those final moments upon the cross when that darkness came upon the land. More than likely darkness because sin has been placed upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's darkness a picture of? Darkness is a picture of a godless existence. It's a picture of hell, outer darkness. Now, what's happening as sin is being placed upon Jesus Christ? Well, the only reason that Christ is able to pay the price for sin is because he did not sin himself. So since he did not sin himself, he's able to take that upon himself. But when sin is placed upon him and this darkness come, it's almost as if, and this is just a picture, but it's almost as if man has absolutely no hope. 
Our, our hope is in the Lord, and now that sin has been placed upon him, is there really any hope for mankind? Well, it, it was through the resurrection that we saw, well, there was always hope in mankind, because the resurrection lent towards the truthfulness of everything that had transpired, because there was plenty of people who pro proclaimed to be Messiah, proclaimed to be Jesus Christ, but not one of them came back to life. That's kind of a big thing there. And so it validated everything that was going on. And so really what we have in verses 1 and 2, really throughout our scriptures today, is the cry from the point of despair. Keeping in mind that Christ, for the very first time in all of his being, now keep in mind the magnitude of that, all eternity past, for the very first time he is experiencing the effects of sin. That's what grieved the heart of the Lord. In Garden of Gethsemane, remember, we're told that he prayed and he was stressing to such a degree that he was sweating blood. Now, I put myself in that place, and I'm thinking about the whipping, the scourging, and the crucifixion, but really what he's concerned about is the receiving of sin upon himself for the first time. God, for the very first time, is experiencing what it feels like to have sin upon him. And also, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's that picture, because sin separates us, there's that picture of the separation of the Son from the Father as well. So this and the Lord, this is, this is something that is absolutely huge. This is off the charts. And so what we're seeing here is, is a time of great despair. All of us enter into times of despair, as I pointed out earlier, some great, some just kind of a, a pain, a bump in the road, whatever it might be. But we can relate to some of the feelings that were being expressed here. You should be able to relate to some of them. There are those times when it seems like we're going to be the very first ones that God has left and forsaken. When you're in the midst of your trial, it seems like at times that there's nobody there. And even if you know that God is there, you often wonder, is he even considering me? Is he, is he thinking about me? Is he aware of what is going on? If God is truly in control of everything, as we pointed out Thursday night, of all the details... And if Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is true, we know that all things work together for the glory of God, then we know that God is in all the details. What happens when it's a really hard detail? What happens when it's a real difficult detail? What happens when it's a detail that stretches you even to the very end of your being? That's when you are truly going to be tested. That's when your faith is shown for what it is. But that's also when you're going to see God move in a mighty way. What this cry mimics is our attempt to even manipulate God's timetable during our time of trial. My God, my God, why have you... Lord, how many times have you prayed? Lord, where are you at in, in, in all of this? Well, he's in the midst of it. The problem is that God works according to a different timetable than, than you work. I'm always of the mindset, God, just make this go away. I, I'm not in the mood for dealing with this, Lord. Just make it go away. Lord, my kids, they're just, they're just overwhelming at times. Make them go away. He never did that. Or my job, or that person on the job, or, you know, we can just come through. The sickness, just make it go away. And sometimes, he rarely makes it go. Why? Because he wants it to achieve his purpose. And so is Christ in his, in his humanness from that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, come back and make this go away. But we know that if that happened we wouldn't be saved. We'd spend eternity apart from God. It had to be brought to completion. Now, I've sat in the dentist chair more than my fair share of times. 
Every time a dentist looks at my mouth, they say, you got the worst teeth I've ever seen. My teeth apparently are really soft. And as you're sitting there, well, I've probably gotten about five or six root canals because they're just so fun. You're sitting there, and what they're doing is they're boring to your teeth. They're trying to get to the root canal so they can pull out all the dead root and shoot it full of whatever it is that they shoot it full of. And so as they're boring down through your tooth, they finally get to the root canal, and they get, I'm an expert, if you ever need a root canal, I'm the guy to call. They get these little files, and they start filing it, and they, they file it and make it bigger and bigger, and so they want to get down to the horizontal root there, and so they have something that they can fill down to, and they don't want to leave room for bacteria and all this other stuff. But when they hit that horizontal roof, you want to jump through. You want to jump through the roof. And there's times that as they're drilling, it's just thinking, I don't want to go through this. Now, you're the boss when you're sitting in the dentist chair. You can say, stop, I'm done. And you can get up, and you can walk away. But do you know the pain that you're going to? How many people here have had an abscess in their tooth? Nobody's proud of it. Nobody's going. <laughs> I've had an abscess. It's the worst pain. My, at the time, my dentist was a female who has a son. She said it was worse than childbirth. I, don't, I can't validate that. I've never experienced that pain. Never will. But nonetheless, it, it was hard. But to get up and to walk away would be foolishness. Why? Because you've got to go through the process to bring this healing to a completion. And it's what Jesus Christ is doing. You know, and we've heard that you know, the nails, held, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross ultimately. It was the love that he had for all of humanity that held him to that cross. That at any minute... He could have called down a legion of angels, but he chose to not do so. Why? Because he needed to die. He needed to die for you and me to pay the price for our sins. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation you will also, or he will also, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So in the midst of what we go through, and sometimes God is going to take us just right up to what we think, that we're not going to be able to endure any longer, but that's usually the place where he meets us and he enables us because he wants to see his good work. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. Well, Jesus at this time, as he's feeling the separation from God and there's darkness from the land, in actuality what he's doing is he's bearing our hell. The point is, is that the unbeliever, well, at this point, he falls into despair, but the believer is at this point comforted by God. Verse 3, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And so there's the remembrance of the goodness of God from past history. And again, everybody that's sitting here, and there's been some people, it's been my experience with some of the people in the church, we've gone through some hard times. There's some people who've lost loved ones and and just everything on the whole spectrum. We've experienced that at this church. But God has gotten us through every single time. God has been faithful in the midst of all of our situations and circumstances. And the Bible promises us that he will continue to be just as faithful. And so there's just the remembrance here in verses 3 through 5 in what God has done. 
In Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. 2 Timothy 4.18, And the Lord will, he's speaking, Paul's speaking about future trials, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew he was going to go through trials. We knew he was executed, but he also knew to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. He knew he had an assurance of his salvation, and that was the priority. And really, that's where our eyes need to be fixed upon as we go through our hardship, as we go through our trials. It's the future and the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. That was delivered to Israel while they were in the midst of Babylonian captivity. All these promises of God, all how God was going to use in the promise of Messiah, now all of a sudden Babylon has come in and sacked the city Jerusalem, and they're in Babylonian captivity, and it seems like we were either wrong, it wasn't true, or God wasn't it. What in the world is going on? Hey, God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. It hasn't changed. God's plan, even though going through that hardship, hasn't changed. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. To give you, he wants to offer you a future and a hope. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you that future and a hope. And now we've seen the fulfillment of it in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're still going to suffer at times. We're still going to go through hardship. That's just the way life. We live in this, in this world that has been affected by the sinful nature of man and trials and tribulations are going to be reality. That's just the way it is. But God has thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And you need to take that very personal. You need to understand that God thinks about you. You mean of everybody in the world, all the things that are going on, he's thinking about me? Yeah, because he's your God. He's your God. And my God is able. He's able to keep me in, in, in his thoughts, and he's able to keep you in his thoughts. He's a very personal God. So once again, we're just reminded in that, and if anything that happens in my life isn't just by random chance. I mean, can, have you ever considered that? A person who doesn't believe in God and just random chance, random chance that we came into being? As we're flying around the sun, what's keeping us from flying out into outer space? And you can go into some gravitational equation, but I believe it's the hand of God. And I believe that we're kept by the hand of God. What is it that you can fill in any blank? Well, it all always boils down to the Lord. Verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me or they mock me. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. It can seem like I'm in the midst of this trial and I've been forsaken by God and everybody else is doing the very same thing. Well, again, he's upon that cross and he's suffering and those people whom he is suffering for are even ridiculing him. It's just those times when we see that everything is falling apart and everybody is coming up against me. Now, 
Here's Christ upon the cross. You need to once again see the magnitude of the love that he has. They've spit upon him. They've turned him in. He was scourged. Not only did he die for the Jews, but he died for the Gentiles as well. He's doing all of these things, and these things are coming up against him. But what does he understand and know? He understands and knows, obviously, the big picture. He knows the plan. As we go out there, if you're going to be a Christian who's vocal about his faith, you're going to suffer persecution of some sort. I mean, more than likely, we're in the United States of America at this time. Seems like things are changing. But more than likely, you're not going to be thrown in jail for your faith. Nobody's going to stone you for your faith. You're probably in this country not going to be killed for going out and sharing the gospel in this nation. Across the world, that's a possibility. In this nation, because of young men like David, we have that freedom today to be able to do that. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen for you going out there and sharing your faith? They're going to say mean things about you. They're going to, sticks and stones will break my bones, but, well, sometimes names hurt too. And we can be so concerned about what everybody thinks about us, but are we so concerned about these people to the point that we're willing to be mocked for their purpose, for the purpose of their salvation? We've got to understand the magnitude of this. As they mock the Lord, they're going to mock you. And if we can buy into that, if we can receive of that reality and just say, okay, well, that's just how it is, then we can move forward in victory in the Lord. But if we're trying to avoid these things and trying to make everybody happy and all of that stuff, it's just not going to work. It didn't work with the Lord, not that he tried, but it didn't work then and it's not going to work now. Verse 9, but you, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. At this point, what he's doing is, and he does it, we just saw him do it previously, and then next week we're going to see the great turning point. But in the midst of his despair, what Christ is doing upon the cross, he's constantly turning his focus back upon God. And so what you're doing, you're seeing multiple times when the situations and circumstances, they, they try, they, at times they get the best of him. But then there's that, once filtering it through the knowledge of God and what God is doing and who God is, that he's strengthened once again in his spirit. And, you know, the hardest thing that you ever went through, the hardest trial that you ever went through, there was probably those dark times when it just seemed like everything was just, well, it was just out of control. But then there were the times when you focused your eyes back upon the Lord, when you look back to God and understanding God's goodness, that you were strengthened in your spirit. But then you would take your eyes off. And, you, and so there was these ups and downs, and it's just the process of a trial. And so the, the, the one who is truly mature is not the one who no longer has trials, but the one who is able to keep his eyes upon the Lord during the trial. And again, a trial is not a trial, unless it tears the heart out of your chest. See, a, a, a cracked gas tank, that's just a little, that's not a trial. That's just a cracked gas tank. Use it as an illustration. But a trial is that which is going to render you completely helpless, hopeless apart from God, and, and, and unable to do anything about it, where your total dependency needs to be upon the Lord. 
And so you've got Christ upon the cross, seemingly unable to do anything. And so what is he doing? He's turning his attention back to the Father. Look down at verse 19. Verse 19 is the great turning point of this whole psalm. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Lord, do not be far from me. Cause me to understand the thoughts that you have towards me. Cause me to remember that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Remind me, Lord, that your glory is best seen during the darkest times of our lives. And when we come to this remembrance, we're going to gain a confidence in the midst of the hardships that we suffer. 1 Corinthians 1.19, I'm sorry, 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are always God's priority. Verses 12 through 18, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. And so I would imagine the Lord upon the cross is seeing these people who are just vicious towards him. Verse uh, 14, I am poured out like water. Once again, we're reminded of the spear that was stuck in his side. All of my bones are out of joint. That was a common occurrence as somebody would hang upon the cross. Their legs would give out and their, their ligaments would stretch in their elbows and in their shoulders. Um, my heart is like wax. It has melted within me. A lot of people would die of heart failure upon the cross. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot shred and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Again, if you use that illustration of the water in the Word of God, Jesus is in need of the Word of God, just as we in our sinful state were in need of the Word of God that washed us clean. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. Dogs in that culture were considered to be an unclean thing. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Again, this is 600 years before crucifixion came about as a means of execution. So I would imagine in King David's day in that era probably didn't make a whole lot of sense until the time of crucifixion. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says, this is messianic as well, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now in verse 5, you can underline that word wounded and right next to it, because it's a good translation, pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. And so again, these Old Testament scriptures are constantly pointing to what occurred upon the cross. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. We know that none of his bones were broken. Again, it was common to break the bones of the person upon the cross. When it was time to go home and the guy wasn't dead yet, they would break his bones, they would crack his leg bone, and then he would suffocate because all, he wouldn't be able to hold his weight up any longer. Um, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments, another fulfillment of Scripture, among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. How cruel is it to do everything that they did to him than even take his clothes from him? It's been said that when the Lord died on the cross that he died naked. Why would he do that? Well, remember Adam and Eve when they were sinful, they were shame was now on display before God, and so they 
sewed fig leaves together. Nakedness, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. More than likely, she was caught in the very act, and so she was caught in the midst of her shame. And Jesus, as he took the sins of the world upon him, that's why they were casting lots for his clothes. And really what you need to see there, he was open for all the world to see. But it wasn't his shame that was upon him. It was our shame that was upon him. It was the shame of us and our thoughts and our actions and our deeds. It's their shame and the things that we try to hide from other people. And we don't want people to know about us, but Christ knows it all. And he took it all upon himself so that we would be saved, so that we would have eternity with him. And it's because of that that we worship the Lord. It's because of what God has done for us and continues to do with us that we worship God for this great Savior that he is to see the magnitude of really what occurred. We're going to be celebrating the communion meal here now. And as we celebrate the communion meal, it's for that time of remembrance. Looking back at the cross, but understanding as I look back upon the cross, what I see is that cross, well, that cross, it's planted It's planted upon all of my sin. That as Christ has gone and as Christ has done this great work, we rejoice in that. We we have very few things that are tangible, such as the the juice and, and the bread. But God has told us to celebrate this meal periodically so that we would never forget. I believe that that's why the Lord laid upon my heart Psalm 22, 23, and 24, so that we would be reminded that we would not forget, that we would remember the magnitude of first love. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And so really what he's wanting us to do is to consume, not his physical body, obviously, but the belief that God has come in the flesh. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, if you remember in Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to the Father, If any way that this cup can pass from me, and that was the cup of judgment. But because the Lord has drank from the cup of judgment, that which we would not be able to drink from, we can now freely drink of this particular cup Why? Because we truly believe, because of the sacrificial death, all of my sins have been washed away. For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What he's doing there is he is pointing towards a future reality. He's not saying if, he's not saying possibly, He's putting this out, putting this out as a reality. Just as truly as we're celebrating this meal here today, there's going to come a future, a future when you are with me, and he's speaking to the church age, when we are with the Father in heaven, able to partake of this communion meal. But as for now, we partake of it in faith, in faith in what Christ has done, what he accomplished upon the cross as his love was poured out for all of mankind. So today, let's just focus upon the love that God has for you. Maybe you're suffering in this place today. Maybe you're going through a hard time. But just again, what did Jesus do upon the cross? Yeah, his problems got pretty big, but then his focus always went back to the goodness of God. 
Father, once again, we just thank you for the magnitude of your love and your grace and your mercy. And we just pray, Father, as we celebrate this communion meal, that, Lord, we would be reminded of it, that our focus would be brought back to you. So once again, Lord, I just pray that you would, Father, achieve your purposes that you desire through this meal in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, go ahead and make...